uh, as we worship you with, with the word of God this morning. I pray that you would help me to be faithful uh, in, in sharing the gospel and in um, unpacking the scriptures and in showing the truth of your love and your grace uh, to the folks who are here today. I pray that you would um, just not let me get in the way of that, Lord, that you would be, uh, that you would be completely in it and, and that your Holy Spirit would communicate better than I ever could. And Father, I pray that you be with the folks who are here, and, and I pray that they would uh, they would be fertile ground to you know, receive your word and, and the seeds of your spirit. That that um, just Lord, I pray that you would move in the folks who are here, help them to know you more, and and uh, and be changed through through the encountering of you and your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. I am gonna put my phone on do not disturb here. I'm sorry, I just realized I do that every morning. And I, the dis, I don't always remember. I do it right before I preach, and I just forgot. So, um, all right. So I read an article this week um, talking about toy manufacturers, and and it was talking about how uh, toy manufacturers, like when they plan their advertising campaigns and their big pushes, they they watch a handful of things. Obviously, the calendar, right? Because there are some obvious times a year when you push toy sales, like Christmas, yes. Um, there's a much less obvious one, and I, I, it kind of jumped out at me when I read it. Um, they, they watch the fluctuation of divorces. Like uh, toy, toy marketers watch the fluctuation of divorces. Because when our culture, like when our, our divorce rates go up, guess what goes up too? Toy sales. And like all these surveys and studies have been done and they figured out that you have four grandparents, right, and two parents, and then you've got other members of the family around who like specifically compete with each other. And, and they compete with each other by buying stuff, right? <laughs> and the idea is like, well, you know, hey, I got you this. Well, I got you this. And they, there's this, this, it may not even always be intentional, but like so Sort of the underlying tension here is, I want you to still love me, and I see what they're doing, and I'm going to do more so that you'll love me. Um, and, and it becomes this weird tug of war. Does that surprise anyone? Does it disturb anyone that toy manufacturers follow that and try to be a part of it? It's kind of disturbing, right? Um, it, it's, it's, it's not a healthy thing. Can we all agree on that? It's a downright unhealthy thing, and it feels loving. Right, but at the core of it is kind of a selfishness, right? Um, and and I'm I'm talking about this because as we get into the text today, uh, we're in Second John. We're going to finish up the book, and and it seems like forever that we've been here. So, being one of the shortest books in the Bible, um, but but we're going to finish it up today. And and um, we've been talking about love and truth. And at this point in time, we're going to talk about love like from a more hard-nosed perspective, which sounds weird, doesn't it? Um, and, and we tend to think about love as being sort of this flowery, wonderful thing. Um, in reality, like one of the most loving acts I ever got in my life was spankings as a child, right? No, I mean, it's the truth. No kid in here believes me. I, getting grounded was good for me. Um, I, you know, getting, getting my car taken away at 16, 17 was good for me. Like, like these things were good for me. And, and I actually am very grateful to my parents now that they did that kind of thing because I, I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't spoiled. I wasn't allowed to do whatever I wanted. I was given the opportunity to grow. But it was a hard-nosed love. 
Um, and that's kind of the angle we're going to talk about. A uh, little background. We're talking about, this is Second John. It's a letter. So John is one of Jesus' disciples, right? He's the last one alive. He's probably the last one alive writing these letters, right? Like at the point in time when he's writing this, this is very late in the first century. Um, everybody else has either been chopped in half or crucified or skinned alive or whatever. John is the only one who dies of natural causes in prison. He was boiled in oil once, but he did die of natural causes. Um, anyway, um, so John is the last one alive and he's sort of addressing the church. Um, he refers to himself as the elder because he's the last like original leader, the last apostle. Um, and, and he's been talking about truth and love. And for the most part, he's been talking about love because he wants to emphasize, he's writing to a group of churches that have gone through a huge split. And all of these people like had walked away from the faith, not, you know, we, we think of a split now, you know, well, I'm going to go to the church down the road. This is not that this is, we're officially not believing in Jesus anymore. We're going to go do our own thing. And, and this was a heartbreaking thing for these folks. In this case, it wasn't even that they were rejecting Jesus. It's that they were modifying him. And we're going to get into the, the heart of it here. Um, that was the first letter talked about that. The second letter addresses false teachers. So there are these folks going around, and they've taken like the teachings about Jesus and glued them together with a bunch of Greek philosophy and some of the Roman mystery religions, and they came up with a whole new exciting product. And these door-to-door salesman preachers, right, are going around and preaching this new gospel. And he's writing to warn them about this, right? And, and this is, understand, the first century, like, like culture, love in the church was a huge deal. They were very different than the rest of the world. In fact, the church invented, I read this morning, I had never realized this, Um, The church invented a new word for love. Agape is the word we use, um, is the Greek word for love. It means selfless love. It's the love that God has for man specifically that we sometimes manage to imitate it selfless and self-sacrificing and all this. Like they were so steeped in this teaching. And then in the first century, hospitality, right? We think of hospitality. You go to somebody's house and they offer you a piece of German chocolate cake or eclairs. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, welcome to my home. Have something to eat. Um, or you tease them if you come to my house. Um, sorry, I apologize right now for that. Um, so, but hospitality in the first century was a little different. If you traveled from place to place in the first century world, there was the distinct possibility you could die, right? And I'm not talking about, like, die because, um, you know, it was difficult to travel. It was actually the desert, Right? And there were bandits. And if you showed up in a town, there were no hotels. Hotels were a very rare thing, except in large cities, and they were awful, right? They were generally in large tents. And, I mean, like, to bring someone into your home in the first century was, um, was one of the, like, core values of their culture. Like, you brought people in, and you fed them, and you took care of them. Because if you didn't, it was, like, the height of insult, and it was considered to be a massive sin by the Jews and by, like, pretty much everyone else. It was a big deal not to be hospitable. Um, And so John is addressing a culture where this is the case, and there are these false teachers coming around, and he's got to kind of set some guardrails. So this is the situation. Um, The last thing, the biggest teaching these guys who are sort of dicing up Christianity, they're messing with is Jesus Christ was God come in the flesh, okay? And this is hard um, because, because it's a hard idea, right? When, 
God was incarnate in the Virgin Mary. We talk about it every Christmas, right? Jesus literally was born as a man, right? And so he was God, but he was also a man, right? And when he died, he didn't stop being a man, right? And in fact, actually, one of the things that the church teaches that, that like, if you dig into the scriptures and you really look at it, Jesus will come again in the flesh. Like, there will be a day when the world ends and the dead will rise and God will judge and everything else. Jesus will show up in the flesh and the world will be recreated. And, like, everybody who ever lived will be resurrected in the flesh and we'll all live, like, because this is how we were meant to be. You know, we watch cartoons or TV shows and they'll have, like, walking on the clouds with the wings and the harp. That's not really biblical in any way. Like, the Bible teaches a physical resurrection and a physical eternity without sickness, without death, without any of the brokenness of the fall. Um, like, literally, we will, like, like we are, we are living the way we're designed to live, but we're living in a broken world now. And we're going to come around to that. It's really important. I know it's a lot of background information, um, but we're going to dive into verse, well, shoot. I wanted to read the preceding verses real quick um, because it's such a short letter, um, So we're going to start at four. I rejoice greatly to find that some of your children are walking in the truth. Now, that walking in the truth, we talked about that the last few weeks. That's a John favorite. This idea of walking in the teachings of Jesus, like living and acting and believing in harmony with the teachings of Jesus, like walking in the truth is a big thing for John, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, he's referring to the whole church, like as a lady and her children, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now, real quick, it's a huge thing here. He's talking about, like, listen, if you're really going to love Jesus, if you're going to love God, if you're going to love your brothers and sisters, it means acting in harmony with the teachings of Jesus, right? Right? It means acting in harmony with God's law. There are times we think, oh, well, I'll do this because it's, you know, it might be kind of not right, but at the same time, it's a nice thing to do and it makes me feel good and so I will. But in reality, like breaking away from Christ's teachings in favor of anything else, right, toward, toward our neighbors is not loving. Um, it may feel loving in the moment. It may gratify something in us, scratch an itch, but it's not loving. Like the teachings of Jesus are, at the core of it, loving. Um, because they're loving in the context of how God designed the world. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Um, we'll get into this in a second, the explanation. So verse 7. I say this because, so he talks about all of this love stuff. Right. And then he says, hey, walk in the commands. That's what it means to be loving. Walk in the commands. And then he says, listen, the reason I'm telling you this, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver in the Antichrist. Now, the word deceiver there is literally liar. Okay, I mean, that's a strong word. We all agree on that. You call someone a liar, that is unequivocally not nice. Um, there are liars, is what he's saying, um, who don't acknowledge that Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. There is a guy, anybody ever heard of Plato? Or Socrates? Not Plato. Although he was the inventor of Plato, as I understand it, probably. Can't prove it's not true. Um, <laughs> um, 
Plato was a Greek philosopher, right? And one of the things that Plato wrote about was this idea that um, everything in the world is a shadow of a perfect world that's out there. It's called the, the philosophy of forms, right? And so everything we see, there's like a perfect version of it out there. And so everything in this world is not like is imperfect or evil. Um, and then everything out there, like the spiritual version of it, is perfect. And so like some people had said, well, wait a minute, that sounds like Christianity. Because Paul talks about the flesh being evil and he talks about the spirit and he talks about these fit together. And so they said, well, let's click them together like Legos. I'm sure God will be cool with that. And they started to say, well, obviously, since Jesus was this perfect man, he couldn't have come in the flesh. He couldn't have been a man because we all know that everything flesh is evil. And in reality, that's not true, right? In reality, there are some, like God created the world good. He created physical stuff good. He created dessert good. Isn't it true? He created, like, the sunrise, good. He created the mountain ranges, good. He created the animal. Everything was created good and perfect, and sin has corrupted it. Um, and so they said, well, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. But if we deny that, what we steal from Christianity, well, number one, we steal who Jesus really was, right? But we also steal things like temptation, right? If I was a spirit, I would not be tempted by junk food, Right? Like, I, I would have no need of it. But I'm tempted by junk food. Now, let's make that a little uglier. If I was a spirit, I probably wouldn't lose my temper all that often. Right? Anybody ever get tempted to really lay into someone? Because it's fun, isn't it? Um, or carrying a grudge. Man, that's delicious inside. Like, but it's, at the end of the day, that's a temptation we experience because we're in the flesh, right? And because our flesh is corrupted by sin, in Christ we redeem ourselves and in eternity we'll live in a redeemed flesh. But like, like they would, we, we live in the flesh now and Jesus was in the flesh and Jesus was tempted the way we were tempted. He was tempted to sin. He was tempted like visually, you know, all these things that we want or, or, or what have you. Jesus was tempted in the same way that we were, is what Hebrews tells us. And so, like, Jesus come in the flesh is a big deal because he needed to be tempted the way we were. He needed to be perfect in the way we aren't so that he could die for your sins, right? And so, like, Jesus takes punishment for your sins, which wouldn't be possible if he wasn't one of us. Does that make sense? Like, if we steal that from God... If we steal that from Christ, we take the heart out of the gospel. We take the heart out of this basic teaching that, like, like as hard as life is and as miserable as it seems sometimes, God is willing to step out of eternity, out of glory, out of perfection, to become one of us, um, to live where we live and to, like, bridge the gap between us and then to be punished for our sins physically, right, so that we can be resur- you know, resurrected in eternity, so we can be forgiven and healed and made right. Like, and, and all that takes is faith, honestly, which is awesome. That's the coolest thing about Christianity um, is that all you need to have is faith in Christ. These guys were teaching that you had to have an understanding of these things and you had to deepen your understanding. And if you didn't become deeply spiritual and knowledgeable and all this other stuff, you couldn't know God and you couldn't be redeemed. And that's nonsense, right? Ultimately, what saves us is faith in Christ. You have faith in Christ. You believe in him. You follow him and you are saved, period. You don't have to be perfect, which is pretty good for me. I don't know about you guys. Just me. 
<laughs> you don't have to earn your way there. You don't have to show up to church more than anyone else. You don't have to, like, give enough money away. You don't have to say enough or try to avoid saying enough bad words. You don't have to do all that stuff. We are forgiven because of Christ, and that is outstanding. But these guys came along and said, hey, you have to have this secret knowledge. You have to have this understanding. Jesus never came in the flesh. We have to become like this. And like that. And they came up with this whole crazy system that is anti the gospel. And John calls these people antichrist, right? Now, real quick, this is a word we know from movies, right? Or really bad book series. Not naming anyone in particular. Um, the, the antichrist, um, the Bible talks about one guy who will be this great enemy of the gospel in history. We don't know who that is. Um, that's a that's a prophecy. However, there are also many people who are referred to as antichrist, meaning they are anti or enemies of the message of Christ. An antichrist is anybody who changes the truth about who Jesus is or how we're saved. So an antichrist is somebody who gets up and teaches something like, if you don't earn your way to heaven, you won't get there. An antichrist is anybody who stands up and says, if you don't give enough money you will not get there, right? If you go to movies, you will not go to heaven. And there are people who teach that, right? I listened to a sermon just a little while ago about that. I was like, what are you talking about? Or if you eat pork, you won't go to heaven. Um, or if you, everybody following this, you change the gospel or you change who Jesus is and what you do is you become an antichrist. You become an enemy of the gospel, um, and specifically, he's talking about people who are teaching this. And there are a lot of people who teach false things. I mean, it's very popular in our culture. Um, I'll come back to that here in a minute. Let's move on. Verse 8. Oh, my gosh, he's only doing five. He's talked for 15 minutes about the first one. Um, verse 8. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be fully rewar- or rewarded fully. Now, here's kind of a cool thing. Um, not a cool thing. Here's a story. I, many years ago, when um, Jess and I lived in Indiana before we had children, um, I was, it was the 4th of July, I remember very clearly, because I was sitting in our back bedroom where we had our TV and our couch, um, and I was watching TV, and the dogs were sitting with me, and Jess was out somewhere. I don't remember where. And I house, all the lights are off, and I'm watching TV um, just by myself quiet on the 4th of July, and I hear the front door open. And I think, oh, Jess is home. And so I didn't get up because I'm a gentleman. Um, but my dogs, I had two big dogs, a lab and a, and a Dalmatian lab mix, they got up hair and fur and teeth and everything else, like wound up and growling, and they tore out of there, and they hit the front door as it slammed. And I heard, the, I heard my lab jumping against the door, and I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? I'm like, Jess, what are you doing? And she didn't answer. So I got up and I start walking around and no one's home except me. Um, I was sitting in the dark with the TV on and the front door unlocked and everything else comfortable in my situation, right? I was not watching because I didn't expect a complete stranger to try to come in the front door. Fortunately, my dogs were on alert, Right? Fortunately, I had somebody watching out. When he says watch out, this is almost a military term. He is saying be alert, be on guard, right? I I started locking the door at night after that. I never sat in the living room with a shotgun, but that's probably about what he's talking about, okay? Not sit in the living room with a shotgun lest false teachers come in, 
He's not saying that. What he's saying is pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. Measure things against the word of God. And actually, that means you have to read it and know it, right? Because if you don't read it and know it, anybody can tell you anything. I remember as a kid before I, like when I first became a Christian and I hadn't read much of the word of God, I'd talk to people and they'd tell me crazy things and I just sort of accept it as true. And years later, you know, I'd be like, wait a minute, that wasn't true. <laughs> um, fortunately, yeah, anyway, so um, we, we stay on guard by knowing what we believe, by repeating it often, by going back to the central message. If you listen to me preach, and you ever miss me saying this, like I, like I try to say this every time, you, you can only be saved by faith in Jesus. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. We are only saved because Jesus died for us. And sometimes I, I remember as a kid thinking, man, I'm hearing this again. I know this part. Can you tell me something else? Why do I repeat it over and over again? Because it's the most important part. And being on guard means repeating the important stuff over and over again. Does that make sense? Um, Sometimes they think, well, I'm bored with that. I want something more. But the central message, the big core ideas are important. And when he says watch out, he's talking about going back to that over and over again. In, uh, we don't, the Church of God doesn't historically um, do creeds because of where we came from. But in a lot of churches, you'll see where they'll repeat creeds right before the sermon. And I, I, growing up, I went uh, in high school, I went to a Lutheran church. And they, they did that every week. You did the Apostles' Creed or the... Nicene Creed, or the, and I can still do some of them from memory, actually. And the reason you do that is it's setting the ruler out before the preacher starts talking. You know why? Because everybody knows what the truth is, and if the preacher says something contrary to the first part, everybody knows it. That is a watch-out kind of thing. Everybody with me? Um, the danger of that, well, all right. We can get around to that another day. Um, so watch out. Be on the guard that you don't lose what we have worked for. Um, I don't think he's specifically talking about salvation because he's talking about inviting folks in right now, saying, listen, there are deceivers out there. And he's about to say, don't let them in. Don't invite them to talk in your church. Do not let them you know, be guests in your home. Don't do this. Because he's saying, listen, watch out that you don't lose what you look, work for. It means like all of these people that we brought to Christ, all of this work we've done can be destroyed very easily. Right? I... Uh, when I worked for the church in Indiana, we had a worship director who was a very nice guy. Um, and I really hope he and his family don't listen to our sermons, but if they do, then I'm, I'm not sorry, actually. So, but every church the guy had ever been at, he had started a fight and left with a handful of people. Every church. They hired him, made him, you know, made him our worship director, and guess what happened after about five years? Started a fight and left with a handful of people, right? We knew what he was when we picked him up. We saw it coming, but we didn't think about it because he was so good at what he does. Um, at the end of the day, we brought that guy in, and he, we lost some of what we had built, right? And a lot of people had walked away. Actually, I know people who walked away from the church because of, like, that guy's behavior. So I want nothing to do with it anymore. That's losing what you've worked for, right? Um, I, it always impresses me when I hang out with the Bitses at their place because Larry kind of knows which cows are where, right? And he knows kind of when one comes up missing and he goes looking for it, right? I mean, he does. He'll go out on the four-wheel and drive all over creation looking for that one ball that wandered out of the field. And, and the reality is that that is losing what you've worked for. And the church lives in that place, right, where they're, you know, family of God. I mean, literally the family of God, God's flock. Like, we get lost all the time. And we get distracted and we get confused and we get 
um, lied to and all of this other stuff. And we can fall into sin so easily. Um, and he's saying, listen, careful, watch out, keep watch over your flock. Be, be like uh, the uh, Durgas, they have guard dogs over their goats. They're cool dogs, right? But I would not want to encounter one in the middle of the night. Because I'm guessing those dogs are probably a lot less friendly at night when it comes to the goats. Um, he's saying, watch out, keep guard, protect what's with you, um, that you may be fully rewarded. And ultimately, what he's talking about is salvation. He's talking about eternity. He's talking about like God being glorified through our work. And he's talking about the treasures we accumulate in heaven through our work. And like we do accumulate treasure through our work. It's not like we become more saved, but we develop an intimacy with God and we develop like a glory for God that we enjoy in eternity. So that's a whole other thing. I'm not going to get into it too deep. It's another rabbit trail. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Now watch this. We have this central message, right? Jesus is, is God come in the flesh, right? Jesus died for your sins. You're saved by faith alone, by grace alone, like like. Like, no act of your own, but by God's love for you. Um, there are folks who will run ahead of that and say, wait a minute, did God really say? I, uh, I was reading, there's a popular author who I'm not going to name this morning, but, like, she has a Twitter account. I was reading, I follow her Twitter account kind of loosely. And, and just a few weeks ago, she said something about, oh, well, somebody quoted a scripture to her. She said, well, that's Paul. But Paul was just a man. Jesus is who I'm talking about. Well, one of these big central core things in Christianity is that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And like Paul's words are on Jesus's level. You can't say, oh, Jesus said that and this guy didn't. So there's no contradiction there. Like they're in harmony. That's one of these central teachings of the church. And what she's doing at that point is she's running ahead and saying these parts don't fit what I want, but this does, so I'm only taking this. That's breaking away from, from the teachings of Jesus, right? It's breaking away from the, like what God has laid out very clearly for us in the scriptures, which is fantastic. It's a huge blessing. You know, people say, I never hear God's voice. Sometimes it means I'm never reading the scriptures because God will address so much stuff just by reading it. Um, did I accidentally bump my slide back with? Oh, Titus. Abby, oh, um, <laughs> and anyone who does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Now, this is big, right? What is it that uh, Jesus said? I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I knew some of y'all would know that, right? Um, that's an on-guard verse, by the way, meaning if you run past Christ, if you outrun him and jump into your own territory, guess what? You've abandoned You've abandoned God. Like, because Jesus is the way that we know God. God looks at us and he says, I am so apart and different. I need somebody to go and fully, like, tell people who I am, like, fully manifest me, fully reveal me. And so Jesus does that. And in Christ, we have the full revelation, the full understanding, the full knowledge of who God is. And so, like, God comes into the world. He's one of us. And we can know God by knowing the Son. But if we abandon the Son, we abandon God. Um, whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Meaning, by the way, the way the Greek there is, um, the Father and the Son, the Greek, it puts them on the level together. They are equals. Like there's this other false teaching from the early days that said Jesus was like this slave to God and he's a less important creature. He is a less, you know, like a lesser being. 
Um, there are actually some modern heresy or cults that teach that today that, that are all around us. Um, it's not the case. The Father and the Son are equal there, like like one but separate. It's That's a whole other teaching. Um, but if we have the Son, then we have the Father. And actually, we have the Spirit, which is something else that Jesus teaches, but John doesn't touch on here. Um, and so in order to stay in the Father, we have to know the Son. We have to stay there. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Now, real quick, we meet in a church, right? In the first century, people actually did not meet in churches. They met at home, right? Or in some cases, by rivers or, you know, in caves in some places because it was really dangerous to meet in homes. But they would meet in homes. So if you had a guy come to you and say, hey, I'm a traveling preacher, um, I want to come and stay with you for a little while. Guess what they become a part of right away? The church, right? And actually, if you walked into a first century town, actually Big Sandy might be a little similar to that. You walk in, nobody knows you, right? And so it was really hard to get a foothold until somebody took you into their home and gave you a place. And then all of a sudden, everybody knew who you were, right? Um, until then, you were an outsider, and you would get no audience. People wouldn't pay attention to you. It was really, really difficult. And in fact, communities, so like one town and the other, be like Loma here. Let's say like I wanted to send a preacher down to Loma. One of us who's been here for a long time, who's got the oldest family in Big Sandy? Who's been here a while? How's that? There are a lot of Durgas in Big Sandy, right? We'd... Oh, seriously? I, I don't know. my. I'm not, I was told not to... <laughs> So the Pigars would write a letter, hey, this guy is from Big Sandy, and we love him, and we are giving him our full endorsement. They would go to a town. Um, they would go to Loma. They would hand this letter over, and the letter would say, oh, well, hey, this is guy's a Pigar, or this guy has the, the endorsement of the Pigar, so we'll take him in, and he'll be one of us. Um, and they would get endorsement by trading letters. And if you went to a neighboring town and were rejected despite your letter, then guess what happened if you sent a guy over to that town? They get rejected, too. And so there was a whole lot of incentive to, like, accept each other. Um, in this case, these people would show up as false teachers with credentials, and he's saying, don't let these people in. Do not lend them your credibility, because the moment somebody lives in your house in the ancient world, they have your credibility. You've lent them credibility. You've given them standing. And so he's saying, listen, do not let these people teach in your church. Do not endorse them. If somebody comes in and they say, you know, Jesus is not born in the flesh or Jesus like was an angel who became God or Jesus is not eternal or any of that other stuff, like they are false teachers. Don't bring them into your home. Don't endorse them. Don't put them in front of your church to talk, right? If I were to invite somebody who teaches false teachings to talk to you on a Sunday morning, um, that would be huge, right? In fact, if I ever do that, fire me. Like, there's a direct, like, instruction. Do not keep me if I do that. Or if I stop teaching that Jesus, like, the truth about who Christ is, like, fire me. Because um, we have to be on guard against those things. And actually, John goes so far as to say, anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Meaning, so if some guy is going around teaching that Jesus wasn't born in the flesh, if I endorse that guy, then I own him. And that's on me. That's huge. Um, this does not mean, so this is a love and truth thing, right? Love and truth. Well, wouldn't it be unloving to kick some guy to the curb just because he believes something different? No. And here's why. Um, it is unloving It is unloving to allow like false teaching to spread. 
It just is. I'm not saying set them on fire. I'm not saying take them out and kill them. I'm saying it is unloving to endorse false teaching. Like we might say, oh, we want to be accepting and we want to be loving and we want to be nice. But it doesn't matter because if you give people like poison, spiritual poison, it's not nice. You can't do that in a loving way. Does that make sense? It is more loving to shut down something that's a cancer, a spiritual cancer, than it is to encourage it. It is more loving to put something away and not encourage it. It is more loving, honestly, sometimes. I I had somebody come to me, actually a few times since I've been here, I've had people come to me and sit down and say, Eric, you did this and it was wrong. You're just wrong. And, you know, I generally get a little hot under the collar at first. You give me a minute or two to think about it. I'll say, you know what, you're probably right. I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I know it's hard and I appreciate it. You know why? Because it's more loving to, like, help somebody overcome sin than it is to encourage them to continue in. It's just the truth. It's hard. It's painful. It seems mean, especially by the worldly standards. And we're not supposed to do it in a way that's like, right? Because we're trying to encourage somebody to, like, come back and know Christ and repent and all this other stuff. That's the point is that everybody would be saved, that everybody would know Christ. That's the calling that we're given us to share Jesus with the world. And if somebody stumbles in their sin, we want to bring them back. We don't want to crush them. Um, But to lie to someone and say, this is okay, it's not okay. Um, And if we fail to do that, we just buy into it. We become a part of it, which is not. That's even worse. Um, Actually, that's a thing that Jesus talked about. He said, listen, if any of you sins and teaches one of my children to sin, it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and be tossed in the ocean than to face me on Judgment Day. Like, wow. That's one of the scriptures I feel like I should tattoo on my arm so I can remember it every Sunday morning when I get up to preach, um, is that you take it very seriously. Um, And endorsing a bad teacher means you're owning their sin. Um, 12 to 13 I have much to write you. This is the very end of the letter. I have much to write you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I wish, or I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings, meaning the people from this other church also say hi. Um, so it's finishing up John's letter. A couple of things in application. Okay, so what do we do with all this? Because it's a lot, right? Um, first off, we're called love, Right? The whole first half of the letter is about that. Like we are called to love. We're called to love passionately and unconditionally. We're called to love with action, right? It's not enough to say I love you. Um, it requires that we do things, right? I talked about that last week. Like if you, if you love the folks at the nursing home, you go see them, right? If I say I love my wife but I never do anything for her, then I'm, I might be off in left field, Right? Or I might be underrepresenting myself. Like love in the biblical sense means act. I may not like my neighbor, but I can love my neighbor by serving him, right? Um, and love is kind of one of these rules. It is a law straight away. However, love needs to walk in truth for it to be real. And so I can say, oh, I love my wife and I love my family and I love all these things. But if I'm not walking in truth, if I'm not pointing them to Christ, if I'm not helping them to grow spiritually, if I'm not encouraging them to escape sin, if I'm not comforting them when they hurt, if I'm not doing all of these things, like I'm failing. Um, If I bring in false teachers, I'm really failing, right? Like if I confuse the gospel for folks, I'm really failing. So how do we apply that? Um, 
we apply it first off by, by knowing, right? You can't know a false teaching if you don't see it. Um, I saw a, a preacher recently writing and, and was being criticized for, uh, not, or for teaching something contrary to the Trinity, the idea that one God, three persons. And that person, oh, well, no. The Trinity is like, you know, and defending it, like, like uses the analogy, oh, like an apple, a core, the apple part, and then the skin. And that's actually, like, a bad analogy because it's not, it's not accurate. Like, it's actually contrary to the teaching of the Trinity. And there's a person who went to seminary and doesn't know their stuff, right? And so by not knowing their stuff, they're teaching an inaccuracy. Like, we have to know these things. Um, we have to know what the Bible says, or you can be convinced that it says anything. You can. Um, that's one of my favorite things. You, you, these guys will come door to door, and they'll quote the Bible. And a lot of times I, I've talked to believers who will sit down and say, well, I didn't understand what they were saying, and I didn't know that verse, and they know the Bible better than I do. And I, like, the problem is that you've got to be prepared. You've got to read the Scriptures. You've got to know it. That is what it means to be on the watch and watching out. And you've got to test. I, uh, I teased Jeremy about um, getting crushes on pastors, right, preachers. He'll find these preachers that he absolutely loves and, like, they can do no wrong. And there are a couple of preachers over the years that I've, like, totally just, oh, I love how that guy preaches. I love how he teaches. I love this book. I love that. And then I'll discover an area where they are way out in left field and wrong. And, like, it's really hard for me to, like, put them down then, right, because I so love what they're saying and how they say it. Um, at the end of the day, like, we have, to be, we have to be serious about that. We have to hard measure because, like, Christianity isn't about feelings. I mean, feelings are a part of it, but it is about who Jesus is. It's about knowing Jesus, and you have to know Jesus to know Jesus, right? Um, you can't know someone else and say you know Jesus. I know Jeremy Eccles, right? I know him. We hang out sometimes. I know him, but knowing Jeremy isn't knowing Jesus. It's not. No offense, guy. Um, <laughs> but it's not. Knowing Jesus is knowing Jesus. It's talking with him. It's hearing his voice. It's spending time with him. It's reading the word. It's measuring everything against what he said so that we're like being vigilant. We're on it. Um, and then after that, we have to not endorse. Um, I, get, I get grief sometimes. I, I stick it to Joel Osteen a lot. Right? I don't like Joel Osteen. I, I, the guy's an awful teacher. He teaches things that are unbiblical. I, I, I you know, mock him a lot because it's easy. Um, but at the end of the day, like, like calling that out and being serious about it is important. It might say, well, that's mean. That's not really mean because letting people, like, follow false teaching is mean, right? Letting people, like, be lost is mean. Letting people soak in sin is mean. Now, you can be mean in the wrong direction there too, right? You, you can abuse people who are living in sin. I've watched people do it. I might have done it once or twice in my life. I try not to. But, like, like, it's not mean to be loving and to call out and to be level. Um, it's loving to point people towards Jesus. It's loving to help people understand that Jesus died for me. One of the things that's really easy for me to do is to say, um, I see you're struggling with this. I've struggled with this too. I get it. I get that it's easy to grow bitter. I get that it's easy to struggle with temptation. I get that it's easy to, and this is, this is me too. I'm the same way. I am overcoming it because Jesus died for me. Like, and you can overcome it too. There's a very different thing than saying, oh, you're going to hell because, right? 
I read a great thing the other day. It was uh, drives me nuts when people come to my door and they say, you, you need to come out and you need to, like, like, you need to listen or you'll burn. Stupid firemen. But none of us thought firemen, did we? <laughs> because in reality, those people don't, like, they don't endear us, right? Like, we're to lovingly point people to Christ. We're, we're to draw people toward him. And we're to shut down false teaching and walk away from it and be aware of it and point it out when it comes out. Um, it is a hard, hard, hard balance. Love and truth in that, that's hard, isn't it? It is. It is so hard to be loving and truthful. It's so hard to be loving and like not want to sugarcoat it. Or to say, oh, well, that's okay. Or, oh, that's just a minor heresy. I'm, by the way, not talking about, like, minor things. Um, the, I've got brothers who are uh, uh, members of the Pentecostal church. And, you know, I love them dearly. I wouldn't prevent them from, like, coming over to my house or anything like that. I wouldn't, you know, because the stuff I disagree with is not big. Right? It's not the same thing as Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It's not the same thing as earn your way to heaven. It's just not. And it's not the same thing as buy your way to heaven. Um, my challenge for you is to dig in and be prepared. Um, and to do it in a loving way, which is just as difficult. Um, that's John's challenge, ultimately. I'm just repeating it. Um, next week, we'll start on a different series. I'm not going to go to Third John right away. And we're going to have a brisket cook-off, um, which will be great. So let's pray, and I will let you all go today. Heavenly Father, I pray that Heavenly Father, I pray that everything that we do here would be about knowing and loving you and, and drawing close to you and knowing your Son and being intimate and close with him, Lord. I pray that I would be a, a, someone who points people to knowing him more, to digging deeper and establishing firm roots and, and growing, Lord. And I pray that as a church we would, we would keep our borders strong, Lord, that we would watch out for, for folks who would steal away sheep that would injure the flock, Lord, and that your spirit would be on guard over us. Um, make us aware, make us strong in that, and help us to be loving. Um, it's so easy to be, slay the beast by becoming it, Lord, and I pray that you would make us like you, make us like your son. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.